How are we doing this morning, guys? You doing good? Sweet, sweet. I love hearing that. Love hearing it. Give me a second to get myself together here. All right. Hope Springs exists. You may have heard to love God and to love people and to serve our city. We don't exist for anything else here. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we sing, everything we are is about these things. We've spent the last few weeks talking about these three things and what it means for us as a community of faith to help people in their relationships with God and with other people. We found that to love God a few weeks ago meant to wrestle with God and to help other people wrestle with God. It didn't mean to have all the answers. It didn't mean to have your life put together. It meant that if you're a mess, you're honest about the mess and we're all a mess. So we should be honest about it. We wrestled, and we talked about wrestling with God. We found that to love others means to be aware of the suffering around us that we tend to ignore, and to enter into that suffering, and to work to empathize with it and to alleviate it. That's what we talked about with loving people. Today, I just want to talk about Batman, you know, because of course, right? Why wouldn't you want to talk about Batman on a Sunday morning, right? Um, maybe we've got some Batman fans in the house. Maybe we don't. Maybe you're just confused, and that's okay, too. You can't talk about Batman without talking about something else, and that's Gotham City. There are several ways to represent Batman's relationship with this city, but Batman always has this deep, lifelong connection to Gotham City. He has a relationship with it. His relationship is lifelong, and honestly, his relationship with his city is forged not in a great view of it, but in pain. And yes, he is made up, I get it, he's not real, okay? But he is obsessed, obsessed with justice, and obsessed with his city, so much so that Gotham City itself is a character in Batman. The city itself is a character. He's obsessed with people not getting away with hurting other people, with his city not being healed in the way that it should be. He's obsessed with that. Now, this isn't Gotham City, obviously. The color scheme's not right, right? It's not dark enough to be Gotham City. It's not noir enough to be Gotham City. And you're not Batman, and neither am I. I'm not suggesting that you wear capes and that we run around and we get the bad guys. That's not what I mean. But we're here to serve our city, to be obsessed with its welfare, And that's why I bring him up is because you cannot talk, you can't be a fan if you don't understand that there is a deep connection with your city. To do whatever it takes for this city to be healthy and to be whole. That's what we're talking about today. How do we love, how do we serve the city that we're planted in? Let's pray. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and just for a minute, get quiet, take a breath. If you're not a fan of Batman, you don't have to think of Batman. That's okay. But what relationship do you have with the city? I'm going to ask you some questions for your time in prayer. What, do you, what is your relationship with the city? Has it even occurred to you that you should have a relationship with your city? Do you love your city? Do you hate your city? Do you wish it were different? Do you wish you were in a different place? Take some time and just honestly wrestle with that, with God. This is in the quietness of your own heart and mind. Think about your relationship with your city and how it's going. 
What is your connection? God, thank you for today, and I pray that you would convict us in a deep way to have a deep passion, a commitment to the welfare and the wholeness of the city that you've planted us in. Now, we might have people here from other cities, and we just pray that for, for that, whatever city you're from, God, that, that you would give us a deep, deep, deep sense of what it means to make this city your city. To make this place the kind of place that's your kind of place. A place where there is peace and justice and beauty, meaningful work, fairness, love and grace. God, if we're complacent, get us out of that. If we've ignored the health and welfare of our city, convict us, bring us out of that. And God, send us out of here with a deep, passion, a commitment to figuring out if we don't know already what it means to love our city and to love it faithfully, God, that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth in this city as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do we love our city? Well, our superhero didn't wear a cape. He wore a crown of thorns and he was well acquainted with sorrow and with grief. And one of the ways that Jesus was passionate and in grief was over the state of the city, the city. Now, we lived in Pennsylvania for a little while, and we were about 90 miles from New York City, and we were about 90 miles from Philadelphia, so we were kind of right in between Philadelphia and New York City. But there was something that people would say all the time, and they would, they would say this, hey, I'm going to the city next week. I'm going to the city. Um, and, and everyone would talk like that, the city. Well, what city? You know, like when we were first out there, what, what does that actually mean? They're talking about the city, New York City. That's what they're talking about. The city, like in capital T-H-E, the city. So if you, I mean, if you think about it, what is the city of God throughout time and history and all, all throughout? We see that in the scriptures over and over again. God is obsessed with his city. And his city is found in every city, by the way, and we'll talk about how that kind of teases out. But his city on earth, his representation there is Jerusalem. And so when Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, he's standing there getting ready to go into the city. This is what he has to say. Look at Matthew 23, verse 37. And hear the passion in his voice. And you moms out there, it's not Mother's Day, but you moms out there, hear the, the maternalness of this statement because it's there and it's heavy. Hear, hear what he says. Hear the passion in his voice. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. If we're going to follow Jesus, and if we're, if we're going to be like him, we're going to have to cultivate the same ache in our bones for the state of the city. The same love, the same desire, the same passion. This passion for Jerusalem is not restricted to just Jesus and just his place and his time in the scriptures. Jesus is the divine and a human. And this ache that he's expressing is one that God has had for millennia. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, God yearns for his city to be whole. 
He yearns for people to be healthy and at peace inside his city. And people constantly obsess over the city in the scriptures. Look at Psalm 48. This is just one example of many, many, many. We're going to go through it quick. But it's one example of many of God's love affair with his city. Here's what it says. Here's what it says. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Every time you see his holy mountain, it's talking about the city of God, talking about Jerusalem, talking about God's place. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zephon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, when they saw her and they were astounded, they fled in terror of what? Of a person? No. Of an army? No. Of the city. God's city. Trembling seas in there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like the tip, ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord God Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. We skip ahead to verse 12. Yeah, it says, walk around Zion, go around her, count her tire. Her tires? Not tires. She didn't have tires. Towers. Count her towers. Consider, look at your city. Consider her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this is our God forever and ever. He will be our God even to the end. Do you hear the love and the passion for God's city there? Like even for its physical attributes, there is love. Even for its buildings, even for its streets, there is a deep love and connection to and commitment to the city of God. These are love songs about God's city. There is yearning. There is a stunningly beautiful picture at the end of the Bible about the city of God and its fulfillment. Look at Revelation 21, verse 1. I know we're bouncing around here, but hang with me. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. This is very profound with all kinds of like quantum physics type implications, but we're not going to go into that, right? There's no longer any sea, no longer any division between what is God's place and what is our place. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. When the scriptures are looking for a metaphor to talk about the city of God and God's relationship to it, it looks for that moment when the doors open and you see your bride, which if you've ever experienced that is one of the most powerful moments of your entire life. This powerful, beautiful picture. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God loves the city. He is passionate about her. He loves his city. But there's this thing that happens when we read either the, any testament, the Old Testament or the New Testament. We come to assume that God just cares about one family, about one tribe, about one city. It is easy to assume that we're supposed to show some preferential treatment to Jerusalem because of that. Now I want to open up a passage from God's word that really speaks to how we should love our city. I've showed you these texts that you would know that God cares about the city. He is passionate about it. But I want to show you in the rest of our time together from a passage where God talks about what it means to love a city that's not Jerusalem. What it means to look like the family of God in a certain time, in a certain place. Now, the context of this passage is multi-textured. But basically, God's people, his fam, screw up a lot. Sound familiar? They make a lot of mistakes. 
They over and over again rebel and reject the love that he gives them. Over and over again. They wander, they fall, they betray the identity of grace and peace that God gives to them over and over and over again. God lets his kids make, his, make their own decisions. And those decisions have ramifications. And in this text, the fam, the tribe, has been exiled to Babylon. The kingdom is broken. It is fractured. It is shattered. And people are living in a land that's far from home. Far from home. Hurting people, listen to me, hurting people are looking for home in a world that feels alien and wrong. Do you hear what I just said? Hurting people are looking for home in a world that feels alien and wrong. That should sound very familiar to people of faith. So what do you do, right? If you're taken and you're picked up out of the city that you love, like the city that God writes poems about, that beautiful, wonderful, awesome city that God cares so much about. If you're taken out of that city and you're exiled into a foreign land, what do you do? Do you hunker down and wait for God to like beam you up somewhere? You can do that. Do you pray and ask God to defeat your enemies, to vanquish the bad guys and to bring you home? You can do that. People do these things and others in the scriptures. There are shepherds and prophets who come and are meant to help guide God's people in this dark time. And some are true and some are false. Some are faithful and some are not. They're supposed to lead the community of faith into a good relationship with God and others by telling the truth. So with, with this time in our, in our text today, we're going to look at a tale of two prophets really quickly that speaks very deeply to how we should live in the world. You may not like this necessarily, but you're, you, if you don't like this, you're not really supposed to like it. And God is trying to get your attention, so let's check it out. Look at Jeremiah 28, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. And this text is a beautiful, complex, but very rich text talking about how we should love our city. Let's check it out. In the, same, in the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people. Now, do you know Hananiah's name? Probably not, right? He doesn't sound familiar. He's not a big, like, big-time Bible guy. There's a reason for that, and it's coming up right now. He goes, he says to me, uh, to me as Jeremiah, writing this text, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, the son of the king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon. In two years, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Okay, so Hananiah gives this message. And what is this message? We're going to win, right? God is going to intervene. He's going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon. He's going to bring us back to the city, the city that's ours, the city that we should be in, the place and the time, the best place in the whole wide world. This is what's going to happen. That's what Hananiah says. What do you, how do you respond? Like with cheers and celebrations, right? The, the, everyone rejoices because it's good news. It's what they want to hear also. This is exactly what we want to hear. God's going to intervene. God's going to get the bad guy and he's going to make everything right again. But there's a reason why you don't remember Hananiah's name. Look at verse five. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the, the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, amen. That's surprising because he's going to give a different message. 
The amen means may it be so. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war and disaster and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord if and only if his prediction comes true. This is a fascinating interaction between two prophets. Because the one is saying, hey, great news, we're going to win, and the bad guys are going to get kicked out, and God's going to just destroy stuff. It's going to be awesome. The other one says, I hope you're right, but know this, you need to be proved right. Rock on. I, I just, I hope you're right. But if we take a step back, by the way, and if we look at what's going on with Jeremiah, Jeremiah has something really interesting going on with him at this time. At this time, he's walking around with a yoke around his neck. Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is something that you put on an animal to make it go a certain direction. And God had told him to put a yoke around his neck to symbolize that God was going to put a yoke around the neck of his people. And he was going to take them into captivity. And bad things were going to happen. And that yoke was supposed to symbolize all of that. So he's walking around with the yoke on his neck and he's saying, hey, I hope, I, hope you're, I, hope you're, I hope you're right. Look at verse 10. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. So he did something. He took the yoke that God put on Jeremiah off of Jeremiah and broke it. And said before all the people, this is super dramatic. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. Notice that the prophet takes a visual that God commanded Jeremiah to put on and he takes it off and he breaks it. It is incredible what happens next. Look at verse 12. After the prophet Hananiah had broken off the yoke, the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word came, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken the wooden yoke, but on its place you will get a yoke of what? Of iron that you can't break. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all the na- these nations and make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I will even give him control of all the wild animals, which I don't understand why he needs control of even the animals. But God says he's going to give him control of the animals and control of the nations and control of all, city, all these cities all over the place. God incorporates the drama of Hananiah into the word that he gives to Jeremiah. You desperately want to be rescued, is what he's saying to his people. You desperately want me to intervene. You desperately want to be saved from this city that you've been taken to. But you will not be saved from that city. Look at verse 15, it goes further. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you are going to die. Remember, Hannah and I talked about two years, man. Two years, all this is going to be sorted out, and we're going to win. You're going to die this year because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month of that same year, they don't have to wait two years to find out, Hananiah, the prophet, died. Wow. Wow. Like, instead of a promise 
that God is going to rescue them from a bad city with a bad king and a bad country and a bad situation. Instead of God rescuing them from a bad situation, he says, no, you're going to stay there. You're going to stay there. And God is so serious about his family being whole, so serious about them being on the right track, that Hananiah was deceiving the whole community of faith, the whole nation, and he was convinced that the rescue of people meant removal of interaction with Babylon, that rescue meant God was going to fix the situation they were in, that rescue meant that Hananiah actually was removed from the equation. And that isn't even all. That is not even the point today. It's just set up. This is all set up. The point comes in the next chapter. And the next chapter we find a verse that has been almost totally divorced from its context. Have you ever heard this verse? You may have heard it sung. You've definitely seen it on a doily at some point in your life. I'm just going to maybe guarantee that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a what? hope and a future. Maybe you knew where that text was going. Maybe you saw Jeremiah 28 and you're like, oh yeah, Jeremiah 29. We're going to get a good verse today. No, we're just going to depress you with like yokes and Hananiah time. This verse, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future comes out of the next chapter. When God gives more insight, another message to Jeremiah, and it's not the one that we want. It's not the one that makes him feel better. Remember, God is talking to a people in a place and in a time that want to be rescued from a place where things aren't what they should be. Look at Jeremiah 29 now and pick up in verse 4. Any verses that we're skipping, by the way, we're skipping for sake of time. Look at verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What? What? Wait, what? What? The story, we, we, no, the story was Babylon was bad and they came and they yanked us out of our home and they carried us to, into exile in Babylon, right? That's what the prophet had said. That's what Hananiah had said. That's what the vibe was of God's family. That we're being abused by a foreign power. What does God say? I, I carried you there. I put you in your city. You don't need to be... Like, your situation is your situation for a reason. That is a tough word to hear. Wait a minute. God loves his people, right? And Jerusalem belongs to his people. Like, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. This is a deep, deep truth that we need to wrestle with. The answer to all of our problems is not found in taking those problems away. The answer to your bad situation is not necessarily a new situation. The eject button is not a go-to for the people of God. Wherever you go, there you are. And there he is. And you are not in this place by accident, by chance, out of punishment. Look at what he says, dares to say in verse 5. You who want to leave, who want to come back home, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Make a life where I carried you is the message that God gives to them. You, wanna, you want out? God calls you to dig in. Literally. You feel uprooted? He literally says, lay down roots, plant things, and root yourself there. They want to go home, and he says, this is home for now. 
And he goes on further in verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I, I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What does God say about cities? What does he say about your city and mine? That we are to work for its peace and its prosperity. That is not a suggestion. That's not something we can just dance around in the scripture. That is something that God's people over and over and over again are called to. And it's not just about Jerusalem. It's about Sioux City, believe it or not. It's about your city, believe it or not. Pray for its peace. Seek. Peace means connection in the Bible. Peace doesn't just mean like we're all nice and everything's cool. Peace means that justice happens. Peace means that people have access to the help that they need. That's what peace means in the scriptures. Connection with God and connection with others. Pray for what now? Pray for who in the what now? Seek the what? I want fire from heaven, they would say. I want God to beam me out of here. I want to spit on the flaming wreckage of God's judgment on this place. That's what they want to do. Maybe you don't want to do that to your city. It probably isn't quite that dramatic, right? But that's what they want. This is upside down for a people who thought Babylon carried them away and that God was going to just get the bad guys. Look at verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Not Hananiah. Not a prop. This is what God says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that what? That you encourage them to have. So Hananiah was bad, right? He was a bad prophet. But he was just telling them what they wanted to hear, right? We all want to hear that God's going to intervene and he's going to make it right and it's going to be okay, right? I want to hear that God's going to come in and he's going to get the bad guys and he's going to get us out of the bad situations and he's going to dramatically intervene to change it. That's what I want to hear. That's the dreams that I want to have me to preach to you all. But he says, don't listen. These are, these are the ones that you want. They're only telling you what you want to hear. Look at verse 9. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is so difficult. You want your world to change? God says, build a house and change you. Change your, make a neighborhood. You want a nation to get right? Get right. You want God to save the day he is? Get to work. Get to work. And look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here's that verse that you wanted. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Have you heard it read that way? For I know the plans I have for you. They're not your plans. They're not your wants. They're not, your, they're not necessarily your dreams and your desires. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Maybe not in the way you thought. Maybe not in the way you want, wanted me to. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will find me. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Here's a test question. Is 70 years a long time? It's a way long time. It's especially a long time when you're not going to live to see the end of those 70 years, right? That's a promise that they're going to have to give to their kids and maybe to their grandkids. That's not God saying he's going to just make it all better. A lot of these people are going to be dead when God comes in to save the day. For many people, hearing this hope in the future means a life and a death in Babylon. They won't see 
the deliverance that God has promised to the people. And this is our life with God too, making a home because heaven is everywhere God is and God is everywhere you are, planting roots in a place that doesn't feel like home, seeking peace and justice that comes in pieces and just never seems quite right, being obsessed with loving people and the place around us because God loves them, because we are made to work towards making every place more like God's place because Jesus told us to pray your kingdom come and your will be done here in this time in this place this is the message of the scriptures this is the message of the scriptures and this is woven throughout all of the texts and all of the scriptures you go to Hebrews our last text for the day Hebrews chapter 11 in the, in the epic hall of fame faith chapter and even there we have a depiction of the city of God and just when you think it's Jerusalem it just pulls the rug out from you. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. All these people were still living by faith when they died, including the people that Jeremiah is preaching to. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things so that they're looking for a country of their own are new. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And this is it. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared, what, a city for them. Where is God's city? God's city is wherever God's people are. So God's city, guess what, is Sioux City. And God's city is whatever city you hail from. God has sent us to love and to serve this city, that he would have his way with us and with the universe. This is a big thing to rest in. It's a big thing to trust in, that all of your work and all of your labor and all of your, your loving the place that you're planted will not be in vain, that your work is going somewhere because God's work is going somewhere, somewhere like the city of God, to a place where everything is set right by the love and justice of God, where there'll be no more misery or suffering or crying or death or pain, where the beautiful city where, where the city, inside of it, there's no separation between earth and heaven. The people who are most representative of what it means to be whole and to be healthy in the scriptures, who have the clearest bead on heaven, are also the most obsessed with thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on Su in Sioux City as it is in heaven. Let's be a people like that, Hope Springs. Let's love this city like that. I want to wrap things up this morning by saying this. This is an intentionally light message on the details. This is intentionally loose on the application, on purpose. Yes, you can get involved with what we as a church do to formally love our city. There have been and there are and there will be many opportunities for you to love this city through what we do at Hope Springs. I could tell you that it's a priority for you to show up on a fifth Sunday when we're not here at the building and we're in the community loving and serving people. And that's a good thing. I could tell you to invest in what we're doing at Opportunities Unlimited. That, that where God says that if you don't love the orphan and the fatherless and the widow, your religion sucks, and he actually does say that. Our friends at OU are sometimes all three at once, the orphan, the fatherless, and the widow. And you could come with us and you could help. You could pour into the warming shelter where we're involved. You could get involved with the stuff that we're going to do when our friends from Bangor come this summer. All these are great. And you should probably do a couple of these or all of them. But... But here's the thing, when you think about this message and when you think about who we are, there is a question that I hear all the time here at Hope Springs and it is this, what is your plan, Michael? 
What is your strategy? That this church might be a place you could come and get the answers and get a plan that's spelled out for you. It is not. This is a place where you can be spurned and provoked into love and good deeds. So there's everyone, everyone here has a mission to, to this place to love and serve the city. And some of you are going to partner in what we're doing, but there is so much work to do. And all of you have different abilities and resources and gifts and talents. You need to find your thing and do it. You need to find your thing and do it. That's the message this morning. Find your thing and do it. I don't know what your thing is. But if you don't have a thing, get one and do it. Love your city. Invest deeply in something to love this city. If you need to find a cape and a gargoyle and perch and brood darkly and look at your city like Batman, that's a Batman reference, do it. Do it. Figure it out. If you need to be provoked into showing love towards your city in a tangible way, let this be a provocation for you today. Find your thing and do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and consider once again your city. We're meant to love God here. We're meant to love people. We're meant to serve our city. What's your thing? What is your thing? A lot of you probably are doing your thing. And if that's you, and you're like, dude, chill out, I'm working. Hear this, your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Hebrews 11 promises us that all of our work for God's kingdom, all of it is going somewhere. Maybe you need to hear that message. You're, you're, you're not doing this for nothing. It's going somewhere. Maybe you need to rest this morning in that. There's another door in this message, and here's the other door. You finding your thing. What is your thing? What passion drives you to serve the city? Is there a group of folks that are hurting, that are suffering, that need you to throw your cape on and get involved? You're not going to be a superhero. But what is it then? Is God provoking you? Is He challenging you to get more involved? in loving and serving your city. Maybe just brainstorm for a couple moments. How can I love this city? How can I serve this city? Father, the scriptures that challenge us to love our city are difficult. God, I want, I want the answer to be that if something's wrong with our city, you'll move us to a different one. That if there's a bad situation, that you'll intervene. That you'll rescue us out of things that aren't right, situations that aren't right places of suffering and misery and pain.
Father, would you cultivate in our hearts a love for this community? God, that if we're annoyed by it or frustrated by what we see or, or, we, or we just don't even see people suffering, God, would you give us new eyes and a new heart? Would you show us how to love and serve with our words, with our actions, with our life, with our money and our time and our talents? Yeah, show us how to be your people. Show us how to build your kingdom here. Not our kingdoms. Not that we would get more. Not that we would have a better life that's more and more put together. God, but that we would see your kingdom come. That we would see your will be done. That people could be free from slavery and despair and addiction. And that our city could be healthy that people could have opportunity to be the people you created them to be. God, that you'd show us how to sacrificially love as we've been loved sacrificially by you and by your son, Jesus. Motivate us, show us by your spirit, by your word, by your power, what it looks like to be a people that our hearts are broken by the same things that your heart's broken by. Our passion is inspired by the same things you're passionate about that we could see our city be your city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's for his kingdom, not ours, that we pray it. Amen. All right, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, go love your city. If you're giving an offering as part of your worship, there's a box in the back. We'll see you next time.